and thank you for listening and reading along with me today. I'm really excited because we are going to be reading two chapters today and actually finishing up book three, which means we'll only have one book left, book four, in A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. We are going to be starting the reading with chapter 41. Lori was a good baby. She slept contentedly most of the time. When she was awake, she put in the time lying quietly and trying to focus her berry brown eyes on her infinitesimal fist. Katie nursed the baby, not only because it was the instinctive thing to do, but because there was no money for fresh milk. Since the baby couldn't be left alone, Katie started her work at five in the morning, doing the other two houses first. She worked until nearly nine when Francie and Neely left for school. Then she cleaned her own house, leaving the door of her flat ajar in case Lori cried. Katie went to bed immediately after supper each night, <clears throat> and Francie saw so little of her mother that it seemed as if Mama had gone away. McGarrity didn't fire them after the baby's birth as he had planned. He really needed them now because his business boomed suddenly in that spring of 1916. His saloon was crowded all the time. Great changes were taking place in the country and his customers, like Americans everywhere, had to get together to talk things over. The corner saloon was their only gathering place, the poor man's club. Francie, working in the flat above the saloon, heard their raised voices through the thin floorboards. Often she paused in her work and listened. Yes, the world was changing rapidly, and this time she knew it was the world and not herself. She heard the world changing as she listened to their voices. It's a fact. They're going to stop making liquor, and in a few years the country will be dry. A man that works hard has a right to his beer. Tell that to the president and see how far you get. This is a people's country. If we don't want it dry, it won't be dry. Sure, it's a people's country, but they're going to push prohibition down your throat. By Jesus, I'll make my own wine then. My old man used to make it in the old country. You take a bushel of grapes. Go on, they'll never give women the vote. Don't lay any bets on it. If that comes, my wife votes like I do. Otherwise, I'll break her neck. My old woman wouldn't go to the polls and mix in with a bunch of bums and rummies. A woman president, that might be. They'll never let a woman run the government. There's one running it right now. Like hell. Wilson can't turn around and go to the bathroom lest he asks Mrs. Wilson if it's okay by her. Wilson's an old woman himself. He's keeping us out of war. That college professor. What we need in the White House is a sound politician 
and not a school teacher. Automobiles. Soon the horse will be a thing of the past. That feller out in Detroit's making cars so cheap that soon every working man can have one. A laborer driving his own car. You should live so long. Airplanes. Just a crazy fad. Won't last long. The moving pictures is here to stay. The theaters is closing up one by one in Brooklyn. Take me. I'd rather see this here Charlie Chaplin any day than this here corset Peyton the wife goes for. Wireless. Greatest thing ever invented. Words come in through the air, mind you, without wires. You need a kind of machine to catch it and earphones to listen in. They call it twilight sleep, and a woman don't feel a thing when the kid comes. So when this friend tells my wife, she says it's about time they invented something like that. What are you talking about? Gaslight's out of date. They're putting electricity even in the cheapest tenements. Don't know what's got into the youngsters nowadays. They all dance crazy. Dance, dance, dance. So I changed my name from Schultz to Scott. The judge says, what do you want to go and do that for? Schultz is a good name. He was German himself, see. Listen, Mac, I says. That's just how I talk to him, judge or no judge. I'm through with the old country, I says. After what they done to them Belgian babies, I says, I want no part of Germany. I'm an American now, I says, and I want an American name. And we're heading straight for war, man, I can see it coming. All we gotta do is elect Wilson again this fall. He'll keep us out of war. Don't bet on them campaign promises when you got a Democratic president, you got a war president. Lincoln was a Republican, but the South had a Democratic president and they was the ones started the Civil War. I ask you, how long we got to stand for it? The bastards sunk another one of our ships. And how many do they got to sink before we get up enough nerve to go over there and lick the hell out of them? We got to stay out. This country's getting along fine. Let them fight their own wars without dragging us in. We don't want war. War's declared. I'll enlist the next day. You can talk. You're past 50. They wouldn't take you. I'd sooner go to jail than to war. A feller's got to fight for what he thinks is right. I'd be glad to go. I got nothing to worry about. I got a double hernia. Let the war come. They'll need us working men when they build their ships and their guns. They'll need the farmer to grow their food. Then watch them come sucking around us. Us laborers will have the goddamned capitalists by the throat. They won't tell us. We'll tell them. By Jesus, we'll make them sweat. War can't come quick enough to suit me. Like I'm telling you, everything is machines. I heard a joke the other day. 
Feller and his wife going around getting food, clothes, everything out of machines. So they come to this baby machine and the feller puts money in and out comes a baby. So the feller turns around and says, give me the good old days. The good old days? Yeah, I guess they're gone forever. Fill them up again, Jim. And Francie, pausing in her sweeping to listen, tried to put everything together and tried to understand a world spinning in confusion. And it seemed to her that the whole world changed in between the time that Lori was born and graduation day. Chapter 42 Francie hardly had time to get used to Lori when graduation night came around. Katie couldn't go to both graduations, so it was decided that she go to Neely's. And that was right. Neely shouldn't be deprived because Francie had felt like changing schools. Francie understood, but felt a bit hurt just the same. Papa would have gone to see her graduate if he was still living. They arranged that Sissy go with Francie. Evie would stay with Lori. On the last night in June 1916, Francie walked for the last time to the school she so loved. Sissy, quiet and changed since she got her baby, walked sedately beside her. Two firemen passed, and Sissy never so much as noticed, and there had been a time when Sissy couldn't resist a uniform. Francie wished Sissy hadn't changed. It made her feel lonesome. Her hand crept into Sissy's, and Sissy squeezed it. Francie was comforted. Sissy was still Sissy underneath. The graduates sat in the front part of the auditorium and the guests in the back. The principal made an earnest speech to the children about how they were going out into a troubled world and about how it would be up to them to build a new world after the war which was sure to come to America. He urged them on to higher education so that they would be better equipped for this world building. Francie was impressed and vowed in her heart that she'd help carry the torch, like he said. Then came the graduation play. Francie's eyes burned with unshed tears. As the deluded dialogue droned on, she thought, my play would have been better. I would have taken the ash can out. I would have done whatever teacher said if she had only let me write the play. After the play, they marched up, got their diplomas, and were graduates at last. The oath of allegiance to the flag and the singing of the star-spangled banner clinched it. And now came the time of Francie's Gethsemane. It was the custom to present bouquets to the girl graduates. Since flowers were not allowed in the auditorium, they were delivered to the classrooms, where the teachers placed them on the recipient's desk. Francie had to go back to her room to get her report card, also her pencil box and autograph book from the desk. She stood outside, nerving herself for the ordeal, knowing that her desk would be the only one without flowers. 
She was sure because she hadn't told Mama about the custom, knowing there was no money at home for such things. Deciding to get it over with, she went in and walked straight to the teacher's desk, not daring to look at her own. The air was thick with flower scents. She heard the girls chattering and squealing with delight over their flowers. She heard the exchange of triumphant admiration. She got her report card. Four A's and one C minus. The latter was her English mark. She used to be the best writer in school, and here she ended up barely passing English. Suddenly, she hated the school and all the teachers, especially Miss Gardner. And she didn't care about not getting flowers. She didn't care. It was a silly custom anyway. I'll go to my desk and get my things, she decided. And if anyone speaks to me, I'll tell them to shut up. And then I'll walk out of this school forever and not say goodbye to anyone. She raised her eyes. The desk without flowers on it will be mine. But there were no empty desks. There were flowers on every single one. Francie went to her desk, reasoning that a girl had placed one of her bouquets there for a moment. Francie planned to pick it up and hand it to the owner, saying coolly, Do you mind? I have something to get out of my desk. She picked up the flowers. Two dozen dark red roses on a sheath of ferns. She cradled them in her arms, the way the other girls did, and pretended for a moment that they were hers. She looked for the owner's name on the card, but her own name was on the card. Her name! The card said, for Francie, on graduation day, love from Papa. Papa! The writing was in his fine, careful hand, and the black ink from the bottle in the cupboard at home. Then it was all a dream, a long mixed up dream. Lori was a dream, and the working at McGarrity's, and the graduation play, and the bad mark in English. She was waking up now, and everything would be all right. Papa would be waiting out in the hall, but there was only Sissy in the hall. And Papa is dead, she said. Yes, said Sissy, and it's six months now. But he can't be, Aunt Sissy. He sent me flowers. Francie, about a year ago, he gave me that card all written out and two dollars. He said, when Francie graduates, send her some flowers for me, in case I forget. Francie started to cry. It wasn't only because she was sure now that nothing was a dream. It was because she was unstrung from working too hard and worrying about Mama, because she didn't get to write the graduation play, because she got a bad mark in English, because she had been too well prepared not to receive flowers. Sissy took her to the girls' washroom and pushed her into a booth. Cry loud and hard, she ordered, and hurry up. Your mother will be wondering what's keeping us. Francie stood in the booth, clutching her roses and sobbing. 
Each time the washroom door opened and chattering announced incoming girls, she flushed the toilet so that the noise of the water would drown out her sobs. Soon she was over it. When she came out, Sissy had a handkerchief wet with cold water to hand her. As Francie mopped her eyes, Sissy asked whether she felt better. Francie nodded yes and begged her to wait a moment while she said her goodbyes. She went into the principal's office and shook hands with him. Don't forget the old school, Francis. Come back and see us sometime, he said. I will, promised Francie. She went back to say goodbye to her classroom teacher. We'll miss you, Francis, said teacher. Francie got her pencil box and autograph book from her desk. She started to say goodbye to the girls. They crowded around her. One put her arm around her waist and two others kissed her cheek. They called out goodbye messages. Come to my house and see me, Francis. Write to me, Francis, and let me know how you're getting along. Francis, we have a telephone now. Ring me up sometime. Ring me up tomorrow. Write something in my autograph book, huh, Francis? So as I can sell it when you get famous. I'm going to summer camp. I'll write down my address. Write to me. Here, Francis? I'm going to Girls High in September. You come to Girls High too, Francis. No, come to Eastern District High with me. Girls High, Eastern District. Erasmus Hall High is the best. You come there, Francis, with me, and we'll be friends all through high school. I'll never have any other friend but you if you'll come. Francis, you never let me write in your autograph book. Me neither. Gimme, gimme. <laughs> they wrote in Francie's all but empty book. They're nice, Francie thought. I could have been friends with them all the time. I thought they didn't want to be friends. It must have been me that was wrong. They wrote in the book. Some wrote small and cramped, others loose and sprawling, but all the writing was the handwriting of children. Francie read as they wrote, I wish you luck, I wish you joy, I wish you first a baby boy. And when his hair begins to curl, I wish you then a baby girl. Florence Fitzgerald When you are married and your husband gets cross, sock him with a poker and get a divorce. Janie Lee When night draws back the curtain and pins it with a star, remember I am still your friend, though you may wander far. Noreen O'Leary Beatrice Williams turned to the last page in the book and wrote, Way back here and out of sight, I sign my name just for spite. She signed it, Your fellow writer, Beatrice Williams. She would say fellow writer, thought Francie, still jealous about the play. Francie got away at last. Out in the hall, she said to Sissy, Just one more goodbye. It's taking you the longest time to graduate, protested Sissy good-naturedly. Miss Gardner sat at her desk in her brilliantly lighted room. She was alone. She wasn't popular, and so far no one had been in to say goodbye. She looked up eagerly as Francie entered. So you come to say goodbye to your old English teacher, 
she said, pleased. Yes, ma'am. Miss Gardner couldn't let it go at that. She had to be a teacher. About your mark, you haven't turned in work this term. I should have failed you. But at the last moment, I decided to pass you so that you could graduate with your class. She waited. Francie said nothing. Well, aren't you going to thank me? Thank you, Miss Gardner. You remember our little chat? Yes, ma'am. Why did you turn stubborn and stop handing in work then? Francie had nothing to say. It was something she couldn't explain to Miss Gardner. She held out her hand. Goodbye, Miss Gardner. Miss Gardner was taken aback. Well, goodbye then, she said. They shook hands. In time to come, you'll see I was right, Francis. Francie said nothing. Won't you? Miss Gardner asked sharply. Yes, ma'am. Francie went out of the room. She did not hate Miss Gardner anymore. She didn't like her, but she felt sorry for her. Miss Gardner had nothing in all the world excepting a sureness about how right she was. Mr. Jensen stood on the school steps. He took each child's hand in both of his and said, Goodbye and God bless you. He added a personal message for Francie. Be good, work hard, and reflect credit on our school. Francie promised that she would. On the way home, Sissy said, Look, let's not tell your mother who sent the flowers. It will start her to remembering, and she's just about getting well after Lori. They agreed to say that Sissy bought the flowers. Francie removed the card and put it in her pencil box. When they told Mama the lie about the flowers, she said, Sissy, you shouldn't have spent your money. But Francie could tell that Mama was pleased. The two diplomas were admired and everyone agreed that Francie's was the prettiest on account of Mr. Jensen's fine handwriting. The first diplomas in the Nolan family, said Katie. But not the last, I hope, said Sissy. I'm going to see to it that each of my children have three, said Evie, grade school, high school, and college. In 25 years, said Sissy, our family will have a stack of diplomas this high. She stood on tiptoe and measured six feet from the ground. Mama examined the report cards for the last time. Neely had B in conduct and same in physical education and C in all his other subjects. Mama said, that's good, son. She looked past Francie's A's and concentrated on the C minus. Francie, I'm surprised. How did this happen? Mama, I don't want to talk about it. And in English, too. Your best subject. Francie's voice notched up higher as she repeated, Mama, I don't want to talk about it. She always wrote the best compositions in school, explained Katie to her sisters. Mama! It was almost a scream. Katie, stop it. 
ordered Sissy sharply. All right, then, surrendered Katie, suddenly aware that she was nagging and ashamed of herself. Evie jumped in with a change of subject. Do we have that party or don't we? She asked. I'm putting my cat. <laughs> I'm putting my hat on. Katie said. Sissy stayed with Lori while Evie, Mama, and the two graduates went to Sheffley's ice cream saloon for the party. Sheffley's was crowded with graduation parties. The kids had their diplomas with them, and the girls brought their bouquets. There was a mother or a father, sometimes both, at each table. The Nolan party found a free table at the back of the room. The place was a medley of shouting kids, beaming parents, and rushed waiters. Some kids were 13, a few 15, but most of them were Francie's age, 14. Most of the boys were Neely's classmates, and he had a great time hollering greetings across the room. Francie hardly knew the girls. Nevertheless, she waved and called out to them as gaily as though they had been close friends for years. Francie was proud of Mama. The other mothers had graying hair, and most of them were so fat that their backsides sloped over the edges of the chair. Mama was slender and didn't look at all like going on 33. Her skin was smoothly clear and her hair was black and curling as it had ever been. Put her in a white dress, thought Francie, with a bunch of roses in her arms and she'd look like any 14-year-old graduate, except for the line between her eyes that cut deeper since Papa died. They ordered. Francie had a mental list of all the soda flavors. She was going down the list so she could say she had tasted all the kinds of sodas in the world. Pineapple was next, and she ordered that. Neely ordered the old standby, chocolate soda, and Katie and Evie chose plain vanilla ice cream. Evie made up little stories about the people in the place and kept Francie and Neely laughing. Francie studied her mother from time to time. Mama wasn't smiling at Evie's jokes. She ate her ice cream slowly, and the line between her eyes deepened, and Francie knew that she was figuring something out. My children, thought Katie, have more education at 13 and 14 than I have at 32, and still it isn't enough. When I think of how ignorant I was at their age, yes, and even when I was married and had a baby, imagine. I believed in witches' charms then, what the midwife told me about the woman in the fish market. They started in way ahead of me. They were never that ignorant. I got them graduated from grade school. I can't do more for them. All my plans, Neely a doctor, Francie in college. Can't work them out now. The baby. Have they enough in them to get somewhere alone? I don't know. The Shakespeare, the Bible. They know how to play piano, but they've stopped practicing now. I taught them to be clean and truthful and not to take charity. Is that enough though? They'll have a boss to please soon, and new people to get along with. They'll get into other ways, good, bad, 
They won't sit home with me nights if they work all day. Neely will be off with his friends. And Francie? Reading. Away to the library. A show. A free lecture or band concert. Of course, I'll have the baby. The baby. She'll get a better start. When she graduates, the other two might see her through high school. I must do better for Lori than I did for them. They never had enough to eat, never had the right clothes. The best I could do wasn't enough. And now they have to go out to work and they're still little children. Oh, if I could only get them into high school this fall, please, God. I'll give 20 years off of my life. I'll work night and day. But I can't, of course. No one to stay with the baby. Her thoughts were broken into by a wave of singing that rolled over the room. Someone started a popular anti-war song and the rest took it up. I didn't raise my boy to be a soldier. I brought him up to be my pride and joy. Katie resumed her thoughts. There is no one to help us. No one. She thought briefly of Sergeant McShane. He had sent a big basket of fruit when Laurie was born. She knew that he was retiring from the police force in September. He was going to run for assemblyman from Queens, his home borough, next election. Everyone said he'd be sure to get in. She had heard that his wife was very sick, might not live to see her husband elected. He'll marry again, thought Katie. Of course. Some woman who knows all about social life. Help him, the way a politician's wife must. She stared at her work-worn hands for a long time, then put them under the table as though she were ashamed of them. Francie noticed. She's thinking of Sergeant McShane, she guessed, remembering how Mama had put on her cotton gloves that time long ago at the outing when McShane had looked at her. He likes her, thought Francie. I wonder, does she know it? She must. She seems to know everything. I bet she could marry him if she wanted to. But he needn't think I'd ever call him father. My father is dead, and no matter who Mama marries, he will only be Mr. So-and-so to me. They were finishing the song. There'd be no wars today if mothers all would say, I didn't raise my boy to be a soldier. Neely, thought Katie, 13. If war does come here, it will be over before he gets old enough to go. Thank God. Now Aunt Evie was singing softly to them, making up a parody on the song. Who dares to place a mustache on his shoulder? Aunt Evie, you're terrible, said Francie, as she and Neely screamed with laughter. Katie jerked out of her thoughts and looked up and smiled. Then the waiter laid down the check and they all grew silent watching Katie. I hope she's not fool enough to tip him, thought Evie. Does Mama know you're supposed to leave a nickel tip, thought Neely. I hope so. Whatever Mama does, thought Francie, it will be the right thing. 
It wasn't the custom to tip in the ice cream saloons except on special parties when you were supposed to leave a nickel. Katie saw that the check was for 30 cents. She had one coin in her purse. It was a 50 cent piece, which she laid on the check. The waiter took it away and brought back four nickels, which he laid in a row. He hovered nearby, waiting for Katie to pick up three of them. She looked at the four nickels. Four loaves of bread, she thought. Four pairs of eyes watched Katie's hand. Katie never hesitated once she put her hand on the money. With a sure gesture, she pushed the four nickels toward the waiter. Keep the change, she said grandly. Francie had all she could do not to stand up on her chair and cheer. Mama is somebody, she kept saying to herself. The waiter scooped up the nickels happily and rushed away. Two sodas shot, groaned Neely. Katie, Katie, how foolish, protested Evie. I bet it's your last money, too. It is. But it may be our last graduation, too. McGarrity pays us four dollars tomorrow, said Francie, defending her mother. And he fires us tomorrow, too, added Neely. There will be no money after that four dollars until they get jobs, then, concluded Evie. I don't care, said Katie. For once I wanted us to feel like millionaires, and if twenty cents can make us feel rich, it's a cheap price to pay. Evie recalled how Katie let Francie pour her coffee down the sink and said nothing more. There were many things she didn't understand about her sister. The parties were breaking up. Albie Seedmore, the leggy son of a prosperous grocer, came over to their table. Go to the movies with me tomorrow, Francie? He asked, all in a breath. I'll pay, he added hastily. A movie house was letting the graduates attend the Saturday matinee two for a nickel, providing they brought their diplomas along as proof. Francie looked at her mother. Mama nodded her consent. Sure, Albie, accepted Francie. See you, too, tomorrow, he lopped off. Your first date, said Evie. Make a wish. She held out her little finger and crooked it. Francie hooked her little finger into Aunt Evie's. I wish I could always wear a white dress and carry red roses and that we could always throw money around like we did tonight, wished Francie.